and welcome to Coffee with Kia. I'm Kathy Benedict, Director of Outreach for Kia. And I'm Keith Ritchie, Assistant Director of Outreach for Kia. And we are back for Episode 4. Today we're going to talk all about some FAQs. We're going to do some viewer questions. We are going to talk about some FAFSA completion events. And we are going to talk about more potential delays. In the fast. But some good news with that. So there's some silver linings Ex- there is. sprinkled in. Always silver li- We will find it. Yeah. Even if it doesn't exist. <laughs> we will find the silver lining for you <laughs> when we say all of these want want wahs. Okay. So um, you know, background, if you're just joining us, if you did not watch the riveting or listen to or, you know, whatever, the first three riveting episodes. Of coffee with Kia. This is where Keith and I come together and we just spill the tea, spill the beans, spill the coffee yeah. on all <laughs> things financial aid related. That's a funny joke because um, as I was carrying in two venti Starbucks coffee, iced coffees this morning, um, the ever uh, sturdy recycled. No judgment. <laughs> um, recycled, what is it called? A drink holder. Yeah. Collapsed. Drink tray. Drink tray yeah. Collapsed and busted two huge coffees. It's like a milk truck exploded out there. Yeah. White as far as the eye can see. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like people are like coming in like, who spilled the coffee? So like if anyone I'm... is looking for extra creamer, it's out in the Kia parking lot here in Frankfurt. There's, so There's a creamer shortage. <laughs> Special thanks to me dropping those. That's I mean, that's like 50 bucks worth of coffee just floating around the Kia parking lot. So um, here we are, spilling all the coffee. Thanks to Zach uh, for getting us some alternative coffees this morning uh, out of his Keurig machine. And dare I say, more delicious pretty, than the Starbucks good. one. Absolutely, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> if you hear me crunching my ice, you're welcome for that. All right, let's start with some coffee talk this morning, Keith. So in Kentucky... It, it is Kentucky, so the weather is, you know, all over the place. But last week was pretty much a snow week. There right. was snow almost all over Kentucky. Uh, this week we are floating away in the rain and the fog. We're just very, the air is damp. Our clothes are damp. It's lovely. Um, but when we have snow days in January, are you team spring or team snow? So here's my two cents on it. I'm team snow for the first snow, and then I'm done with it. So that's kind of where I am. I like sure. a good, solid snowstorm the first time, and then I'm ready for spring. What about you? Yeah, I'm almost the same way, except I want two. I'm crazy. Okay. I want two. <laughs> I need like a week in January. Give me a week of snow. I don't want the kids to have to go to school. I don't want to go to – I mean, I don't. we don't leave and go to work most of the time, so we still have to work. But, like, I want – like, I want everything canceled. I want to have to, like, stock up on milk and bread and cheese and eggs and all the things uh, in advance. And have a little, like, moment of panic of, like, do we have what we need? Or <laughs> right. Who are we going to eat first? Uh, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> I want to live that for about a week in January and about a week in February. Because yeah. in about three weeks, I'm going to be ready for another right. week break. Well, you know how I am. I can't sit still. So I'm good for, like, the first 
30 minutes to 45 minutes of a good solid snow day, and then I'm, I'm out. Yeah. yeah. You're doing I'm a thing. Driving through the, the roads and right, stuff. I got to get right. out. Yeah. Now, I will say, like, since I've had kids, it's changed because I used to be like, it could snow. I will be snowed in for three months. Like, COVID was my jam. Like, I loved being stuck at home, not being able to, like, oh, sorry, COVID, you can't go anywhere. Um, don't, can't put any pants on. Like, it's COVID. Uh, <laughs> so, like, that was my jam. Now that I have kids, like, I need them to sometimes right and so like i want my two good snows and then i want spring like i want them to go outside and we do a little free range parenting in my house so like we send them out and shut the door and hope for the best there's one of them that's only two so that's problematic sometimes but uh, okay so with that uh what does a snow day look like in the ritchie home so for us you know i've got two little girls so we do a lot of arts and crafts my girls love them some arts and crafts, so I do my best. I'm, I'm the, probably the least creative and least crafty person on earth, uh, but I do my best to, to you know, hold up with them. Right. Uh, but I would say that's, that's their biggest thing. When we get a big snow up in Cincinnati where I live, uh, you know, I, I am a, a traditionalist when it comes to going out there and doing like the like make-your-own-snow ice cream. I'm all about the snow, snow cream. cream. You put that vanilla stuff in there, and it's, it's perfect. It's awesome. It's my favorite type of ice cream on earth. What about you? What's it look like in the Benedict uh, household? It's a lot of chaos. Yeah. No, so I have four children, and they are uh, five and under, so it's always chaos in my home. But um, but we we do love the snow, and my kids love it. I've got one kid who is just not a snow bunny. He's not interested. Um, This last time, he lasted 10 minutes before he was like, ah, my hand's cold. Kind of done here. He's always been like that. Um, The whole thing three, four snows he's played in in his whole life. Um, but so we, like, as soon as my kids wake up, which is the crack of dawn, because, of course, we don't have to get up. So right. 6 a.m., they're like, woo, let's party. Yeah. They're like, can we go play in the snow? Can we go play in the snow? So, you know, there's four of them, and it's cold. So you get them all in their gear and everything, and everybody's, like, hot and sweaty because it's, you know, not in my house. It's, like, 66 degrees inside my house if I keep it cool. But... You know, we're all hot because we're all covered in clothes. And then we finally get outside in, like, 10, 15 minutes max. And they're yeah. like, I'm done here. My girls are the same way. Mine are seven and five. The, the, the older they get, the more they stay outside. But I will say, a lot of times it takes more time to get them dressed for the elements than to actually go out and play in exactly. the elements. And then, you know, just as much time to get it all off and everything. Yes, so, exactly. Yeah. And this snow wasn't great for play anyway. Like, it was real powdery. Yeah. Like we couldn't build a snowman. They didn't like that. They couldn't. They did manage to throw a couple snowballs directly into my face, but they couldn't really form them, so they didn't love that. And so they sled a little bit. We, we didn't get tons in Owensboro, maybe an inch or two, and so they couldn't sled great. So, and so finally, we go. You know, we go back in. We take everything off. We're, you know, all like defrosting, and like twenty minutes later, they're like, "Okay, we're ready. We can go back outside." So I got to a point where I just laid all of their snow stuff out. Knock yourself out. You put it on. You go outside. I will be in here drinking the hot cocoa if you need me, but I'm not going back. I'm not doing this again. Right, yeah. <laughs> Funny you mention that about the sledding. In Cincinnati, I'm telling you all, there was like a sled shortage. So I went to like four different stores searching for a sled to buy my kids. I finally found one at like 10 o'clock at night so that we could do a little bit of sled riding for 10 minutes the next day. But it was all worth it because right. they loved it. So, yeah. you know. The links we go through right, yeah. for our children yeah. and also our viewers. Um, I think we really topped the charts with episode three with 
25 views from face or from from Facebook from YouTube. That's so I'm right. feeling real proud of ourselves. Yeah. Uh, feeling real proud of the impact we're making in society. And and your mom. And, well, my mom was probably only 20. Or so. She just had it on repeat because she didn't know how to do YouTube. She she used to say she uh, she couldn't go she didn't have line she couldn't go online because she didn't have line at her house. Gotcha. Gotcha. Which, in normal words, is she doesn't have Wi-Fi. Gotcha. So, yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Enough about us. Let's talk about the FAFSA. So we reached out to our uh, outreach staff, and we said we need a couple of like questions that you guys get asked all the time because we want to address some of the things that are on the minds of parents, students, counselors, financial aid administrators, and so <clears throat> a really good point that one of our staff brought up is there's lots of confusion, even still, and this has nothing to do with the changes of the 24-25 FAFSA. This has nothing to do with, um, you know, anything other than this is FAFSA 101, Financial Aid 101. But the differences between legal guardianship, custody, and adoption when it comes to filing your FAFSA. So, Keith, can you walk us through where we are there. Sure, that's a good one because um, I would say of all financial aid issues that come about, we probably get asked that. If not the most, it's, it's near the top of the list. So it, it's a lot. Um, so first and foremost, wh what it really stems from, it used to be called the dependency section on the FAFSA. Now it's student personal circumstances, but it's essentially the same thing. And when you get to that part of the FAFSA, it's trying to determine whether or not the student will be considered dependent or independent for financial aid purposes. What's the difference? Well, if you're dependent, you have to go track down parent information. If you're independent, you don't, uh, in a nutshell. So one of the questions in that personal circumstances section is about legal guardianship. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, if a student is in legal guardianship of someone other than a biological parent, if they check that box, it's going to determine them to be independent for financial aid purposes, meaning they do not have to provide parent information. The, the tricky thing that we run into, and I'd say other states run into this a lot as well, is that a lot of folks use the terms interchangeably between guardianship and custody and adoption and all these things. Right. But truth be told, it's, these are all different court processes. Yeah. So they're, they're, you know, based on what that actual court document says, that's what's going to really determine what kind of impact on financial aid and what that process would look like. So to put it as simply as possible, if you have a court paper from, you know, the, a court in your state of legal residence that says legal guardianship of someone other than a biological parent, you're independent. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of times on the back end, the college may ask for a copy of that court document just to make sure that that was correct. But if it says that word, that's the magic word, guardianship. If it says that, then that's what makes you independent. The problem is a lot of situations that we run into, the student's not actually in guardianship of someone uh, other than a biological parent. Right. A lot of times they're in custody of someone other than a biological parent. And again, a lot of people use those terms interchangeably. Right. But it is important to note for anyone watching this that if you have a court paper that says custody, or that someone is a custodian of you other than a biological parent, that in and of itself does not automatically make you an independent student. Um, so it is a different separate court process. As strange as it sounds, it, a student could have been in custody of, let's say, uh, grandma and has mm -hmm. been for 15 years. Right. As weird as it sounds, if, if none of those other dependency situations line up to their circumstances, 
then if they have a paper that just says custody, as weird as it sounds, that student is still technically dependent of their biological parents. And then you're at a fork in the road, and you've got to figure out, you know, is it best to try to track down parent information? Right. Or you can always talk to your financial aid office uh, on the back end after the FAFSA gets submitted and say that you have an unusual circumstance that could potentially lead to what they call a dependency override appeal. And that's essentially where you would talk to the financial aid office about the situation. A lot of colleges will have you write a letter, provide some documentation to just prove what is going on, and they can make that final determination if they're going to maybe designate you as an independent student that way. The other thing along those lines that we get asked a lot about has to do with adoption. Um, so in cases of legal adoption, this is literally pretty much the only situation where we would use someone other than a biological parent's information on the actual FAFSA. So most of these situations, it's either do we use biological parent or no one else. But in cases of adoption, you actually treat those adopted parents the same as you would if they were biological parents. Right, right. Um, and the, the a way that I like to think about it, or I would explain it when I was in the field, is like legal guardianship. There's no going back on right. that. Mm -hmm. Once there's once a guardianship has been signed over, and someone else is your legal guardian, you can't revoke that. You can't change. You can't take it back. Custody can change. Mm -hmm. Guardianship cannot. Legal guardianship cannot. And so that um, that definitely helps kind of clarify. Yeah, and and you know, I would say a majority of cases that I've encountered in, in my time in financial aid, I feel like it's more common to have a court paper that says custody because mm -hmm. it's a less, uh, you know, strict layer, I guess, through the courts than that guardianship like you mentioned. Right. But just know that if you're at that fork in the road, if you're a student or a family going through that and you look at that court paper and you're disappointed because it says custody and you're like, uh-oh, what do we do at that point? Just remember, if you're unable to provide parent information because of an extenuating circumstance, those appeals can certainly be helpful to, to think about exploring. Because, um, you know, a lot of times these appeals get approved if, if, for instance, maybe the reason you're in custody of someone other than a biological parent is because of some safety concerns. Right. So if it would not be safe to go provide biological parent information, that can be something that's commonly approved in one of these appeals. Uh, or maybe you don't know where the parents are. If the biological parent's whereabouts are unknown, that would also be a common reason why these mm -hmm. appeals can get approved. Definitely. All good information, all great information. There is um, there is a special guest in the room, and I think we need to acknowledge her. You probably heard her uh, during Gary Keith's conversation. I'm at Zach's chair. <laughs> She's loud. <laughs> Welcome to the room, yeah, Mrs. Yeah. Zach's chair. <laughs> right, yeah. I promise it wasn't me. Yeah, it was the chair. I promise. She real loud. I was... You can't hear it. Okay. okay. We're, we're getting an update. Okay. This just in. Breaking news. Yeah. You cannot hear the chair on the mic. <laughs> but here in the room, <laughs> like moaning Myrtle. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Are you a Harry Potter fan? Do you get that reference? I, kind of. Okay. I've read like one book but okay. when I was like 12. I've not read any of the books. Yeah. <laughs> the movies. <laughs> 10 stars. Okay. Uh, next frequently asked question, viewer question that we want to address um, is about community free and reduced price lunch. So um, what that means is, you know, if a, if a school has a free or reduced price lunch for everyone who attends, um, and there was some confusion, and so FSA put out some clarification regarding that. Give us a little bit of background on the confusion and then what the clarity 
communication was. Yeah, so on the FAFSA itself, uh, one of one of the sections toward the end, it'll have a, a laundry list of, of federal benefit programs that if you check the box that says you are, you know, that you're qualified and you receive any of these federal benefit programs, it exempts you from answering asset questions on the FAFSA. So if you see fewer questions, it helps you get in the running for, you know, certain need-based aid programs without having to go down the route of reporting assets. One of them is free or reduced lunch. And, you know, the tricky thing in Kentucky, there are a lot of schools that have grants in place where every student who attends that school gets free or reduced lunch, even if they don't individually qualify. Right. The key to it is, and, and even beyond that, other states, there are seven or eight states across the country that have universal free or reduced lunch across the board for any student in, in schools. So there was a little bit of a back and forth between organizations throughout the, the summer and fall leading up to the opening of the FAFSA uh, to, to figure out when they say free or reduced lunch on the FAFSA, do they just mean in general if you have free or reduced lunch, meaning if your school provides it, right. your state provides it, or you individually don't pay for qualified? Lunch. Do exactly. You check it? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and, and, you know, so there was a little bit of, uh, there were two camps with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I know our stance at Kia has always been that we feel that, that, the way that it's worded in the regulations and the federal guidance has been that it's supposed to be a means-tested question. Right. So when we hear that word means-tested, that tells us individually qualify for free yeah. or reduced lunch, regardless of whether or not the school or the community has funding available that, that provides that free or reduced lunch across the board. So we've always had that stance of, you know, do you individually have that paperwork on file with your school that says, I qualify for free or reduced lunch? Right. And if so, check the box and, and move on. So um, the feds did release some updates recently because of, of just the back and forth between organizations across the country. And they did provide that clarification recently mm-hmm. that they um, that they are talking about that means tested piece, that right. it is just individually do you qualify for free reduced lunch. So if you attend a school that has that across the board, but you don't individually have that paperwork that shows that you would qualify for it, regardless of if that grant existed, that's really what they're going for. Right. Right. It was definitely our opinion uh, <clears throat> before the FAFSA opened and we were doing the trainings, we were listening to the trainings, we were hearing the stuff, that that would have been very generous mm-hmm. of the Department of Ed to say anyone who doesn't pay for lunch doesn't have to report their assets. I mean, because you've got people who attend low-income schools who may have that grant and don't pay for lunch who are multimillion. You know, mm-hmm. like it just it just felt like it didn't quite make sense. And so I'm glad they came out with that clarification because, you know, I could definitely see, it's always been a question, even before the 24, 25 FAFSA, mm-hmm. you know, you're sitting there helping a student and they're like, oh, I get free lunch. And we're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Does the whole school get right. free lunch? They're like, yeah. I was like, okay, no. Yeah. Do you qualify? Right. You have <laughs> right. to have a paper on file that says you get it. Um, and so I'm glad to hear that clarification because right. I do think it was a point of confusion. Yeah. Speaking of a, a point of confusion, one of the things that, that I've, I've encountered, you know, uh, among families, um, one of the questions on the FAFSA has to do with taxes paid on scholarships and grants. Yes. What, what's your take on that, Cassie? It is tripping up so many students. In the, the FAFSA workshops that I've observed that I've helped with, almost every student kind of stops and is like, okay, especially I was just at one on Tuesday and it was for college students. It was a workshop for college students. And so these are people who presumably have gotten scholarships and grants last year or the year before. And they see that question and they're like, whoa, like, yeah, I get scholarships, I get grants. This is taxable scholarships and grants, which would have to be 
they cannot they the government can't tax your scholarship or grants unless it is above and beyond tuition, room, food, fees, all the things, books. Um, that's the only time scholarships and grants are taxable. And so the way, because again, that question has been worded differently, but been on the FAFSA before 2425, and it was a question I got frequently. And so I would say your litmus test is, do you receive a 1098 on those scholarships and grants? If you got a piece of paper in the mail from your school and it said, here's the scholarship or grant that you, hello, she's back. <laughs> <laughs> that was, that's Mr. Lene's chair. Uh, <laughs> so there's a lot of moaning happening from the chairs today. They're they're creaky because it's so damp in Kentucky. <laughs> right. Yeah. You're better than that, Cassie. Excuse Come me. on. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so yeah. So that's what I would say. Did you get a school uh, a letter from your school tax form ten ninety eight when it was time to file taxes? It said this is your amount above and beyond, you know, tuition, room, board fees, everything you owed, because then that amount would be taxable. And then right. you would pay a tax on that. And that's the question that it's asking for. In the hundreds of years that I've been doing this, one time yeah. did I ever run into a family who actually received a 1098 and actually had to pay some taxes on the scholarship and grants. And it was a graduate student who was receiving like a, it was like a fellowship or a, a assistantship or something mm -hmm. like that above and beyond because they were living off of. Right. There was like a stipend attached to it. Yes. Right. Exactly. And that one student had to pay taxes on that. They brought the 1098 with them to mm -hmm. file their FAFSA one time. And so by and large, we just put a zero in that mm -hmm. box. Do you feel less the same? Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, it's one of those things where, where people see that those keyword scholarship and grants and they well I had that last year so I have to report something is this right. is this going to knock me out of eligibility or anything like that and you know just to put folks minds at ease it is pretty rare mm -hmm. at the high school level or or even the undergraduate level yeah. I would say if any of you work with the graduate students like you mentioned that's right. where I've seen it a little bit more mm -hmm. often but it's still it's, it's a relatively rare thing to encounter so it's one of those things also where I feel like you would know it if you had it type yes, of thing. Yeah. You mentioned like the tax forms that you get. It would show up on your tax return. Like all of these things, you would know that ahead of time. So if you look at that question and you're trying to think, well, maybe I have one of those. It's one of those things where you would have gotten paperwork about it. You would have seen that on as a part of your 1040. Right. This <clears> is all information that if you didn't get that and, and you didn't see it, chances are you probably don't have anything that you would have to report for that question. That was a frequent response from me in the field when people would ask about certain elements on the on the FAFSA, mm -hmm. I would say, like, I feel like you would know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like if you had this, you would know. You know, right. like, I can't think of an example right now, but, um, like, housing provided by the clergy or, you know, right. like. Certain military benefits, right. things like that. You would yeah. know if you didn't pay rent or a mortgage because you worked for a church. Like, you would, I think you would know that. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, um Okay, so the next thing that uh, we hear a lot, questions, curiosities, updates on the FSAID process for parents who don't have socials. Yeah, so there, there, there's a lot, there's a lot still up in the air, I feel mm -hmm. like. Um, it, you know, it hasn't been as smooth as what anyone had hoped it would be when, when, when the FAFSA opened up. And 
I feel for anyone in that situation who, you know, we, we all of the plans were pointing toward, you know, that undocumented parents would be able to set up an FSA ID right. as soon as the FAFSA opens, and the plan, the game plan was that most would be able to go through this transunion identity verification yep. process, and it just hasn't worked. And it worked was going to be beautiful, and it was going to be easy, and yeah. Yeah, and to add another layer to it, you know, of all the changes, there, the, again, I stand by this, there are a lot of good changes to this FAFSA. 100%. One of the things, though, that um, I think is unfortunate is over the years, you know, we always had the fallback of that signature page. You could do right. that online FAFSA, and then again at the end, hit that other options to sign, print out that signature, throw it in the mail, and you're good to go. And we just don't have that as a fallback option. So long story short, what's happened in the last, or, or you know, in it, this month in January, now that the FAFSA is open, is that that transunion identity verification process through the FAFSA just hasn't worked according to plan. Right. Um, so, you know, a lot of parents in that situation, if they don't have a social security number, um, they do have it set up on the FSA ID where you can check the box that says, I don't have one. And that's what's supposed to prompt this new process to, to get started. But pretty much all of my experience this month in that situation has been that it's just not working. Mm -hmm. I do know that federal student aid has acknowledged that it's not working and right. that they are working toward fixing it. I haven't heard much of a time frame. Have you, Cass? I haven't. And that's actually, like, the joke I was going to make is that the update is there are no updates. Right. Like, it's, we're just really yeah. at a stalemate. There's no timeline. Um, it, we were even hearing some stirrings that, like, the call center, the 1-800 number, was not well trained on yeah. what to do with parents who didn't have socials um, because the, the guidance is that the TransUnion knowledge verification system doesn't work the 800 number um the 800 number was saying oh we'll print off a piece of paper and mm -hmm. sign it and you can't that, that paper doesn't, doesn't exist, exist anymore. Right? Yeah. you guys got rid of it we can't do that <laughs> and so um then there was the, the whole like manual process where they mm -hmm. email you something and you fill it out and so i do think that these parents and students have some options but they're not great options. Um, we we thought this would really open accessibility, and in fact, it has more so limited accessibility at this point, unfortunately. Um, one option that parents and students have would be just wait. Right. Like, if you are not up against the FAFSA deadline, don't worry about it right now. We know the system is not up for undocumented parents and parents with no socials. So just wait until we get word that it is up and running smoothly. Um, if you're up against a, a FAFSA deadline, you could, there's kind of really two options there. You could try the manual FSA ID process. We suspect it's going to take a while to do all that identity verification because you have to mail in paperwork and different things um, or just file a paper FAFSA. I will say this about that manual piece. If you are in a situation where you feel like you need to get this out the door as quickly as possible, I had an outreach counselor at Kia call call me the other uh, night and uh, had mentioned that there was, uh, she, she was assisting an undocumented parent through that process. I think and she called me too. <laughs> probably, <laughs> probably. I had <laughs> and, the same conversation. Yeah, yeah and, and they were able to submit some documents, mm -hmm. you know, to, to get that process started. The problem is there still wasn't a time frame on how long that process would be. They received a confirmation that they got the documents. That doesn't mean that they had an FSA ID. Process though. them, or yeah, exactly. So it, I hate to say it, but it, like you mentioned, sometimes if you have the ability to just hold off and like let this clean up a little bit, yeah, it may save you a lot of headache. Going trying to force it through. 
Right, because the other thing is, you know, you can file a paper FAFSA today, but they're not processing. I mean, they're not processing processing electronic FAFSAs, but they're definitely not processing paper FAFSAs. And so you're still waiting, essentially. So um, I would yeah. venture to say, yeah, if, if, if you go down that manual route, there's a chance that if this thing gets cleaned up in the next week or two, and all of a sudden the, the identity verification process is working as it should, it might be the, the yes. folks who have gone the manual route. Yes, and you've a little processing. bit muddied the waters by doing the manual route and then turning around and mm -hmm. doing the, so yeah, yeah. I, I definitely, that would be, I urge you, if you don't have a deadline, just wait. Yeah. If you're an undocumented parent, a parent with no social, wait until that system is up and going. Yeah, and we feel for you, because I know that's frustrating, and, and, you know, everyone just wants to get through that FAFSA process and, and as quickly and efficiently as possible, and it's just not where it should be at right. this point. Right, right. So we're going to take a quick break. Break. We're going to take a break. What? <laughs> Close enough. You know what we're talking about. It's raining, okay? My brain doesn't work when it's raining. <laughs> no, my mouth isn't working. Um, it's the chair keeps talking. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> um, we're going to take a quick break. Hear from our sponsors. It may be a voice that you recognize. Uh, <laughs> that person does know how to speak. Uh, but <laughs> And now a word from our sponsors. FAFSA. All right, and we're back. Um, thank you for that word from our sponsor. In my mind, it's going to cut to like, here's a word from our sponsor, and it's just going to be someone going like, FAFSA. And then, thank you for that word. Yeah, yeah. Here we are. Short to the point. <laughs> we're back. <laughs> so, this next part, Keith, I want to talk about uh, mission accomplished. I've cracked some people in the room up. I've officially made one person laugh today. <laughs> around issues and, you know, just 
glitches and right. stuff like that with the website. Um, one thing in particular that, that we've run into quite a bit with our staff is, all right, let's say the student is starting their FAFSA first. They're the first yes. contributor on the FAFSA. Mm -hmm. They get to that parent part. They put in mom's information. They hit that invite. Right. And let's just say that the invite doesn't go through on the email, so mom logs in with her FSA ID. One thing that we've noticed, if you're the second contributor, like you're the parent, your student's done their portion, you're going in for the first time, you're doing it. If you just click on the FAFSA and hit I'm a parent and go away, go into it, a lot of times we're seeing this error message that says you're not authorized to something about the student, yes. like you're not connected to the student, right. even though we know the demographic information matches, everything should right. be good. And I know our staff has found a workaround for that mm -hmm. is instead of clicking on complete the FAFSA form, they're going up to the top where it shows like your account information. Dashboard. And it's like my activities. Yes. They click on that and they see like a link specifically from that invite. And it says like you have like one pending invitation or something very, it's clear that that's what it's asking you to do. Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, that's just one of those things where it was communicated that even if you didn't use that email link, right. you should be able to just log in with that FSA ID, and it would link through all of the demographic information. And it just knew, and yeah. Right, and I've not, in, I've not encountered that Same. so far. So anyway, if you Same. if you run into that, 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 that is one workaround. Go to that top right corner, hit My Activities, and you'll see that button, and then it seems like it's going through a lot it more It works smoothly. well, right. Yeah. And it just may be the case, you know, like Keith said, we don't know if this is a widespread issue or if it's kind of exclusive to, you know, here and there. But um, if you do have those multiple kids in college and you go to that dashboard, even if it says you have two pending invitations, mm -hmm. it seems like it's making you fill it out both times. Right. So, I mean, it's quick and easy when you do, so it's not ultimately that big of a deal, but we just thought it would be a little more streamlined. Yeah, just going a little in. more user-friendly. And maybe, mm -hmm. you know, maybe the, the bugs get worked out, but that is, you know, something that we have noticed Cass, you had mentioned to me earlier this week that you had seen an update regarding federal tax information and, um, you know, just some of the, the data and how that gets shared among the contributors. Do you want to share about that? Right, I do. So, like I said, I spend a lot of time just hanging out with the FAFSA um, <laughs> in the World Wide Web. And on LinkedIn, there's kind of an expert that I follow who posts information periodically and so he pointed out that we were told that FTI data would not be accessible to other contributors. Wait, I'm getting, I, I, can't, get, else to go. I can't get any closer to him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're talking about him. Oh, sorry. You scooched to your left. Oh, sorry, sorry. Okay, so we, that was another breaking news update. It, that our digital media specialists are, uh, <laughs> is that better? We got a very specific note <laughs> that said, scooch to your left a little bit. <laughs> Sorry, I'm scooching you off, off the side. Wait, no, S-C-O-O-C-H, scooch to your left a little bit. <laughs> so now that those of you who are watching can now see the right side of my face, we will continue. <laughs> Listen, this is like a no holds barred kind of podcast. It's quite the operation. That's yeah. right. We don't we don't hide things here. Like we'll she a second ago was like, Cassie, wipe your nose. So, you know, I mean we're just we're we're out with it, okay? We make fun of Zach's squeaky chair and we tell each other to scooch to your left. Yes. Yeah. Okay, back to FTI data. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah, I date that. So <laughs> we were told going into this that the FTI data that was uh, kind of garnered because, you know, it does the behind the scenes stuff by each contributor would not be accessible or viewable by the other contributors. So, you know, my family is an open book. I frequently tell my five-year-olds how much money my husband and I make. Uh, but <laughs> not a lot. Exactly <laughs> um, are you doing a laugh yeah. right? <laughs> to <Yeah>. me? <laughs> yeah. Rich in love, right? That's right. We're rich yeah. in love. Yeah. Listen, we're in helping. We're in the helping industry. Right. Taxpayers don't pay much. Um, <laughs> so, but there are some families who don't necessarily want their teenagers knowing their income information. Right. We we run into this all the time. And so that was a frequently asked question before it opened was, okay, well, are my kids going to be able to see what I put into the FAFSA in terms of my income? And the answer was like, oh, no, because they're, they're separate forms and everything's going to be, you know, your own form and your own information and no one can see. When it comes to, you know, teenagers, I don't know if it's as big of a deal is as if you think about parents who are married filing separately. And I don't have that sort of marriage we file together so I I know what my husband makes he knows what I make again not a lot um so we can you know but maybe there's financial arrangements maybe there's marriages that you file separately because you don't want your spouse to know your income information or if you're unmarried and you're living together and so in that situation you really don't have kind of joint financials Mm -hmm. and so now we're hearing that this you know, tax information is available to other contributors and the ones who provided the information. Um, basically, anyone who's on the FAFSA can see all of the information on the FAFSA. Now, it's a very specific case. You would have to request that that ICER. Right. You would have to request an unredacted ICER, and you would then be allowed to do that. You would be allowed to request it. You would be allowed to receive it. And then you'd be able to see everyone's information. And so, is this a big deal? I don't think so. You know, ultimately, I don't think this is going to cause any waves. I don't think it's a big deal. But if you have parents who, you know, don't share tax information with each other, don't share income information with each other, but maybe they wanted access to that because they were going through a divorce and they needed to show the court, like, he makes more money than he's telling you or whatever, you could ask for that from the college or the fat, you know, the FSA people, and you could get that unredacted ICER and have access to all that federal tax information. So I think there are tiny, tiny, tiny pockets where that could be problematic. I think by and large it's not. Right. But it is something that we're hearing that is, again, not quite what we expected. Right, yeah. Because, I, I mean, it was pretty clear throughout the lead-up to the FAFSA that everything would be separate, they, a student wouldn't be able to see the parent and vice versa right. among the contributors. That it was almost like... It wasn't one big, long FAFSA. It was just silos, right? Yes. Like these miniature FAFSAs that come together through demographic information. Right. And we're learning Steel that maybe a little bit more connected than exactly. what we initially thought. Right. Exactly. And so, again, not a huge deal. But now let's talk about something that is a huge deal. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the bomb that we're going to drop with this co- coffee with Kia. And we'll, you know, glad we're getting into it 45 minutes into the podcast. <laughs> Making sure we're bringing you... The most important, most breaking news, 45 minutes in. Right, that's right, yeah. Um, okay, so I'm going to start from the ground up, and you jump in when you mm-hmm. want to. Uh, when you file a FAFSA, 
and you provide it. I want to be clear that I am saying FAFSA. Yeah, you are. You're pronouncing Sometimes it. when I listen to it, it sounds sometimes like I'm saying FAFSA. And I just want to assure everyone, I am not someone who says FAFSA. <laughs> or FAFSA. Yeah, that's a common one. Or any of the above. FAFSA. Yeah, I've, heard, I've heard done some FISSAs over the years, too. <laughs> yeah, I've gotten a little bit of I had a mom that used to call it, a, I need to find my FAFSA. Yeah. And I was like, girl, you churching that up. <laughs> We're from Kentucky. We say fast. I was going to say, that's a very classy version of Fossa. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Coffee with Kaya, <laughs> uh, <laughs> where we talk about fossils. <laughs> Anyways. Okay. Where was I? <laughs> Income protection allowance. Thank you. The bomb that was dropped this week. <laughs> I forgot about my bomb that I was getting ready to drop. Uh, okay. So, when you file a FAFSA and you provide income information, part of the calculation is that we take, we, meaning the Department of Ed, federal student aid, takes a portion of that income, and they say, we're not going to count this toward kind of your available income to help you pay for college. Because it does cost money to live. Right, and the thought is, it, not every penny that you have is going straight to that college bill that, you know, you've got other other commitments and things like right, that. Right, other so financial things a happening. Good, you know, a decent chunk. Of your finances. Absolutely. So that is in the technical FAFSA financial aid world called an income protection allowance. So one of the calls to action back when the FAFSA was being overhauled, back when the updates were coming, was, you know, there's been a significant inflation hike in the last three years. And basically they said, you guys have to account for that by increasing those income protection allowances. So we're going to um, kind of illustrate that inflation has happened by sheltering more of your income from going into the calculation. And they didn't do it. <laughs> the long and short of it is they just didn't do it. They did not adjust those. Um, if you've done a hand calculation like Keith and I have, then you know like there's tables and you refer to the tables and then you do calculations and then you refer to another table and you do more calculations. There is an income protection allowance table, A2, I believe. Uh, <laughs> That's impressive. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I it may not be that. accurate, but it's impressive <laughs> right. nonetheless. Don't uh, write that down. <laughs> Nobody write that down. Um, just bleep that out whenever I know. Um, so they basically didn't adjust that table the way they were supposed to. And this was a known error that came out very shortly after the FAFSA was introduced. Like, oh, we didn't update these income protection allowance tables. Um, and so there was kind of a, a call of like, what are you guys going to do about it? Because it's not adjusting for inflation. We have inflation. We have this huge inflation. So how are we going to make these students who need this money eligible? And so earlier this week, um, federal Student Aid announced that they will be adjusting that part of the calculation this year, this cycle. means two things, ultimately. One good thing, we could potentially see an increase in about $1.8 billion of aid. It's going to make available $1.8 billion of aid that wouldn't have been there if the tables weren't adjusted. What do you mean exactly? What number two is? You mean like the downside? Is that what you're getting at? I definitely don't mean the number two my children talk about. 
bad news is more more money, right? You know, at the end of the day, more right. money. Um, I'm guessing what you mean by the number two is the downside. Which of number this. two? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Do you like that? Um, it, so you know, as we've seen from the start of this, there have been a lot of delays because of this going back to the drawing board and making these updates. They are talking about potentially some longer delays than even what was anticipated originally when it comes to processing these FAFSAs on the back end. I know the date that we've heard a lot is February 1st, right. that, that you know these colleges will start getting these things and the processing will be completed. But at the end of the day, I'm not so sure how confident I am. And with this news that dropped this week, I'm feeling more and more That was a literal night. bomb that just yeah. dropped. <laughs> right. <laughs> we got the audio figured out. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Okay. Um, but anyway, you know, in all honesty, with that announcement this week, it's looking more and more like some of the processing could be longer than anticipated. I know right. NASFA had, had sent out a statement about that, as well as NCAN, the National College Attainment Network. So a lot of the players involved in college access are, are starting to talk about this, and this will be something that, that I think we're going to have to share with families to just be patient, hang right. in there that eventually these FAFSAs that are being submitted in January will get where they need to go. We're just going to have to give it more time. Right. The tricky thing, for those of you who haven't started a FAFSA yet in, in January, um, you know, when you do get in there and you hit submit, just know there's not going to be a way for you to go back in there and make any updates or corrections until this processing goes through. Right. That's the right. hardest thing. In a normal year, you, know, you would submit the FAFSA, and if you notice, oh, I messed this up or messed that up, or maybe I missed a college or whatever it is, right. It wasn't a big deal because in a few days you jump back in there and hit make corrections. Problem is now it could be a few more weeks before you're going to have that mm -hmm. possibility to go in and, and make any adjustments that you need to. Right. I feel like, and so FSA, DOE, they've not come out and said there's going to be additional delays. Right. But we all in the financial aid world know how could there not be right. to make a huge overhaul to the calculation that both applies to all the FAFSAs that have already been filed since December 30th and on and moving on. And so I know everyone in the financial aid world and, uh, you know, on the college side has been kind of very anxiously waiting to get yeah, these they're ICERs. they're chomping to get these ICERs back and start packaging students. And understandably, because they've got to, right, they've got to get these aid offers out. Sure. And so now hearing this, a week before we were supposed to begin getting this ICER information um, is is problematic. I did want to address, too, you know, we keep saying this January 31st, February 1st, like these ICERs are going to come out. That's what the college gets. That's what the FAFSA looks like in the college, on the college side. And then they use that to, to create your aid offer. And we say that, and I don't want parents and students to misunderstand and think to themselves, oh, well, on January 31st, something's going to happen for me. I'm going to get my aid offer. Um, a, we're not 100% sure at this point that anything's happening this January 31st, whether it's on the college side or, you know. At the, or anywhere. Like, is there a gate that somehow opens that suddenly these ICERs start flows, flow, flowing into these college inboxes? Like, we just don't know what that looks like because they are using the terminology, we'll begin receiving ICERs. And so we don't know, is it rolling? We just don't know. Um, the other thing is, is even once your college gets it, they have to process and package all of you. They have to process and then create your aid offer and then get it loaded to your account. All the processes. And so it's definitely, there's nothing that's going to happen for a student or parent January 31st, February 1st, that range. There's right. just nothing. 
you're still going to have to wait for that college to take some action on those. Um, and then if those are even further delayed. It's like a domino effect, right? You know, step one, we complete the FAFSA, we send it where it needs to go. And then it's in this limbo period for everyone right now of where, you know, if you were to already have submitted the FAFSA, that's why you'll see that message. It'll say processing or in review or whatever. You know, that's why it's in that limbo period. So the next domino that has to fall is the colleges and aid agencies start getting these ICER uh, records. And then you start hearing back from them once they have the ability to go through and start packing. So, and I would say at a minimum of two-week turnover, a minimum of a two-week turnover. Yeah, and I think that's even – I mean, that's like everything Pretty goes generous, right. yeah. I mean, I you know, so if I'm a student or a parent and I just submitted the FAFSA today and what is it, January 20 – I don't know. <laughs> I'm losing track <laughs> 25th, of my days. January yeah, 25th, January 25th, thank you. Yeah, so if I, if I submit that FAFSA today, I'm personally not going to be expecting any aid packages until later on in the spring. That's Absolutely. just that's my two cents. It's not like I have any official word of that, but right. I wouldn't start thinking that I'm going to get something back for, for a hot minute. Right, so. and I know you know there's this kind of wide, um, widely agreed upon date of May first that you know students make their college choices by May first. I just don't think that's a realistic goal this year. I just don't think it is, and um, I don't think you're going to have your eight offers in enough time if you have to go through the verification process, which I think that. Um, far more FAFSAs than they thought were going to be need to be verified are now going to need to be verified due to manual entry or, you know, your marital status doesn't match your tax status or you've overridden your um, household size or your family size or whatever the case may be. I think we're going to see a much more delayed. I think summertime is going to be kind of a hot time for getting some college things checked off the list because Everything is just so dramatically delayed. Yeah, those are all good points. So when we return, guys, stay tuned. We've got some great initiatives that we want to talk about that are coming down the pike here in Kentucky. So uh, we'll be right back. Do you need help paying for college? Your first step is completing a FAFSA, free application for federal student aid. The 24-25 FAFSA will be available in late December 2023 and is more user-friendly. More students will be eligible for aid than ever before. Kia counselors and others are ready to help you. You're not in this alone. For more information, use the QR code or text money to 800-928-8926. Or you can visit gearupky.org slash money. All right, and we're back. Um, thank you, Kia, for sponsoring Kia. Uh, <laughs> Coffee with Kia. <laughs> we appreciate our agency for sponsoring this podcast put out by our agency. Uh, (laughs) Lots of internal things happening here. So Keith, I kind of want to do a quick fire because uh, everyone stopped listening at about the 10 minute mark. Probably. (laughs) Except for your mom. She's been our most loyal listener. She fell asleep, but it is absolutely still playing. Um, So I just kind of want to do a quick fire because there are things happening, big things happening in February to help support people in their FAFSA completion efforts. Um, both the students, student level, family level, and college and high school level. Um, tell us about some of those FAFSA initiatives in order to, you know, those completion initiatives. First off, got to check out our website, kygoestocollege.com. We have some great information on there about any of these initiatives, and we also have some college access resources. We have a FAFSA walkthrough video. 
We have uh, you know toolkits if you're at the school level and you're thinking about participating with us on any of these initiatives. We have some great things that you can check out on kygoestocollege.com. Uh, starting this upcoming month in February, we do have our FAFSA completion challenge in Kentucky, which is always fun and exciting, where schools can compete for uh, basically recognition on who is completing the most FAFSAs in and terms of cold FAFSA hard rate. cash, exactly. five hundred bucks, exactly cold, hard cash. So any student, high school or adult, right? Mm-hmm. Can, oh, that's right. Can you know participate in one of these FAFSA completion challenge uh, events? They, they get their FAFSA done, and they just do a quick survey, and they're in the running for that for that scholarship. Sure. So that's always fun and exciting, and that's something that we do uh, each and every year. Yes. In February. Zach and Lene, <laughs> you are eligible for that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> even, yeah, even you. Uh, <laughs> so also, you know, in February, just to shine a light on the importance of FAFSA completion and financial aid in general, you'll hear us talk a lot about FAFSA February. It's a concerted effort throughout the state to really just – Again, shine a light on how important this stuff is. I know there will be some proclamations. We'll have some social media programming mm-hmm. up and going throughout the month to help, you know, just, just guide people to the resources that we have here at KGAS. Absolutely. So do you want to talk about the brand new one that we're brand excited to say? Brand new initiative. If we can say it correctly, we're excited to say it. This, no, I can't. Were you there about you to mess go. it up? I was. <laughs> Drum roll. <laughs> if you're watching this, <laughs> the Sunday FAFSA Funday Initiative. And so this is, <laughs> this is uh, you know, we talked tremendously a lot about uh, current college students being a group that really needs a lot of support. And so to speak to that, Kia kind of partnered with CASFA with some colleges universities, uh, community colleges, the KCTCS system, um, CPE, I mean, just a whole gear up, a whole group of partners and said, then let's do something to support these college students. And what was born of that was Sunday FAFSA Funday, where college campuses across Kentucky are going to agree to host events on their campuses. They read the campuses register um, we kind of put all the campuses out there. You can find one near you. You can go on a Sunday afternoon, typically evening hours as well, get some expert help to file your FAFSA. Um, but the bonus to that too is if you attend one of those events, you can register for another $500 scholarship uh, provided by Kia. So it comes with some scholarship opportunities. There's going to be some programming uh, some marketing about that on kygoestocollege.com, our social media. So if you are looking for a site near you or if you're uh, someone on a campus level listening to this mm-hmm. and you want to register, call Keith uh, and he will get you registered. <laughs> and I will give you Cassie's number. No. Um, yeah, so so just looking at the list the other day, I'm really excited about it because a right. lot of college partners are signing up for this. Yep. So it, it's great to see in this first inaugural year of Sunday FAFSA Fun Day that we have so many different colleges that are going to be offering these opportunities throughout the Commonwealth. I think we're up to 17 sites as yeah, of today. Yeah, that's awesome. 17 events across Kentucky on college campuses specifically to help students file their FAFSA. And you don't have to be a college student. You don't have to go, if it's on Bellarmine's campus, you don't have to be a Bellarmine college student to go. You can be any college student or high school student who needs some help or just an adult who wants to return to college. Go to that campus, get some expert help during that time. Yeah, so a great opportunity for anyone who needs to get some FAFSA help done. And, and as Cassie said, 
might even get a little extra cold hard cash we a, a, might as give a result. Five hundred. Yeah. Big one. Yeah. So our friends at Gear Up have Fabs of Frenzy as well. What, what's that all about, Cassie? I don't actually know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just. I mean, I kind of sort of know. <laughs> I was kind of in my head like we're gonna leave that one off because I don't know if I know enough about it, but um. If you're a gear up school, uh, if your school has gear up in their school, I think that there's kind of a challenge among that group to get a high percentage of FAFSA completion done in the month of February, which is during their FAFSA frenzy month. Okay. Do you know more than I do? That's pretty much what I know. (laughs) I mean, you know. (laughs) Missy.Roth at KY.gov. Right. No, I'm so, I'm sorry, Missy. I really do think she listens to these. <laughs> so, um, but no, Gear Up can uh, definitely guide you in the right direction. Uh, if you are a Gear Up school and maybe you attend or your student attends a Gear Up school, there are some events to help support college uh, going and FAFSA completion. And so, I think it's a kind of a friendly competition among those schools. Uh, there's also a lot of programming that Gear Up does to just help students kind of understand the process in general. And it's not just for their students who are enrolled in their program. It could be anybody. Right. And, and I, I just got to say, like in general, about these initiatives and the Gear Up, you know, initiative that they have as well. One of the coolest things about Kentucky is someone who has lived in, in several different states throughout my uh, life. Kentucky really does a good job at I partnering, agree. collaboration to, to try to get as many students to, to get them through that process of the yep. FAFSA. So. Even outside of the initiatives and the fun things like the FAFSA Frenzy and our Sunday FAFSA Fun Day events and the FAFSA Completion Challenge, at the end of the day, on a daily basis, our outreach staff is always available as well. Always. And they travel to every single high school, adult ed center, college campus, you name it, throughout the state. So don't feel like you have to necessarily participate in this initiative or that initiative. We are always available and, and more than willing to help you with any any issues that you might be experiencing throughout that FAFSA. We may not always have the answers because it's not a KIA form, but we can help you, you know, any way we can to get through some of these issues that you might be experiencing. I think that's a good point, Keith. Um, this is a federal form. Yeah. It's created and run by the Department of Education and the Federal Student Aid. Um, I think the other day, one of our outreach staff, one of the students she was helping was quite upset with Keith yeah. uh, because he didn't make the form as easy as he should have made it. Right. And I mean, I agree that Keith is, has really messed up in Sorry, that Sorry, guys, department. I botched it a little bit. <laughs> we really all owe this to him. Um, no, but I, I definitely want to be clear. Like, Kia, we're here to assist you. We're here to support yeah. you. Um, we didn't make the form. Right. We didn't make the rules. Yeah, and the things that the students or parents are frustrated about, we're, we're also we frustrated too. about it. And, and, you know, just hang in there, be patient, and, and just know that, that you know, our, our staff, our outreach counselors throughout the state are, are certainly doing their best and, and want to help everybody that they encounter get to the finish line. It's just some days, you know, the website might not be working or this particular situation is, is not uh, conducive to getting it through at this right. point. But it's hang just in growing there. It'll, yeah, it'll get to where we need to be. I say it all the time. I'm going to say it again with – how frustrating it's been, all the glitches and stuff. At the end of the day, remember these words, more people, more money. And and to me, that's a positive thing. If it means that we have to go through these growing pains for another few months even, so be it. If at the end of the day, when all the dust settles, if more people get more money, that, that that's a good thing. It's been worth it, right? Yeah. Right. So go out there and get your FAFSA file, get yourself Keith that one bill. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what just came over me. 
<laughs> okay. Uh, thank you again for joining us for just as long as you did, however long that was. Um, for episode four of Coffee with Kia, we will be back episode five. Hopefully, we're going to try to get some guests in right. to talk to you guys a little bit. We know you're getting real tired of hearing our stale jokes. <laughs> so, uh, we're going to try to get some more people in here to make uh, probably worse jokes. Honestly, I mean, we're I pretty funny. Yeah, I, I I don't know. I think we've probably reached the pinnacle of our, you know, <laughs> our jokes. So, I mean, you know, but we'll do our best with whoever we bring That's in. Right. It doesn't get any better than this episode. So if you've right. watched this, maybe don't come back for more. No, uh, we'll be back with hopefully some guests with more information, updates. We're here to support you through this and drink some coffee with you. Um, hopefully make you giggle here and there. We did, you know, the people on the computer, they were laughing. So uh, we're here to entertain someone, at least. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next time on Coffee with right, Kia. Cheers. so happy you called them out on it too i think that, makes, that adds a layer there's a guest after, in the after room. some of these captions you all put on us i know right you all yeah you deserve it <laughs> the guest in the room is that recent guidance from federal student aid has indicated that they will be updating the income protection allowance charts used in the student aid index calculation to determine aid eligibility on the 24-25 FAFSA to account for inflation. This is good news because it means an additional $1.8 billion in federal aid will be made available to students. This does, however, mean that FAFSA processing will experience additional delays resulting in aid notifications from your colleges and universities being pushed further into the spring. Please know that your colleges and universities will work as quickly as possible after receiving FAFSA data in mid-March to get your aid notifications out to you but they can only work as quickly as information is made available to them. We understand that the 24-25 FAFSA is still experiencing some glitches and that the call center for federal student aid is experiencing unprecedented call volumes, which result in long wait times and dropped calls. The chat function often has a lesser wait time, so we encourage you to try that if you have questions for federal student aid. But be patient with your outreach counselors, college financial aid offices, and the Department of Education as we all navigate this change together. Contact your Kia Outreach Counselor if you need assistance with your FAFSA, and hang in there, Kentucky.